Greetings and welcome to Talking Who to You, a podcast dedicated to the big Finnish audio adventures of Doctor Who and highly convincing Scottish accents, of which I would like to make it clear I actually possess one of. Um, hello, uh, yeah, I'm JG Macquarie and as always I'm here with my co-host Kev Kozer. Say hello Kev. Hey. How are you doing this week? This is usually where I do a bit, but I think you have the bit section of the intro covered this week. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I felt I had to do something to acknowledge the uh, very high quality level <coughs> of uh, Scottish accents throughout this play. Well, it means this week we are starting with the first story in a trilogy of three. So it's going to be The Sixth Doctor and Jamie. And this week we are covering City of Spires. So, Kev, would you care to give us a summary? All right. City of Spires has a Sixth Doctor land in the Scottish Highlands, where he once again meets Jamie McCrenman, who has no knowledge of not only his travels with the Doctor because of the Time Lords, but also their, even their first meeting. When investigating this, he also discovers that the English are colonizing Scotland. I don't know if that's the right words. You can correct from the history there. But they are under the uh, sort of thrall of this overlord who turns out to be a leech-like alien or swarm of aliens who are extracting Scottish Scotland Highlands for black water. Uh, the doctor, Jamie, and Alice Cyprion, who is, whose husband created sort of the machines, uh, all team up to sort of take out the factor and defeat the overlord and yada 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 the doctor saves the day yeah that pretty much sums it up um so yes like i said we're getting off to the first story in a new trilogy now the last trilogy we covered was the client trilogy and i don't think that there's any ambiguity about how we felt about that we thought it was magnificent and to hear the sixth doctor and jamie together is one of those kind of fan things where you go ah well you know yeah okay that could be interesting and we've had this kind of come up before but i suppose you know, straight off the bat, we have to we have to ask the obvious question. How how do you think the Sixth Doctor and Jamie work together? Oh, I think they work together fantastic. I mean, Colin Baker and Fraser Hines are amazing. Uh, I think, though, I also want to sort of go back a minute and just give overall thoughts on the story, and give give overall thoughts on the trilogy. Well, not yet precisely, but I just want to put it in context. Last time we were talking about how the Klein trilogy was this like masterpiece, maybe Big Finish's best overall trilogy. And then this, and then we were also wondering, well, maybe this one's even better, and we're hoping to draw a memory of that. And I mean, not to tip my hand too much, but like, then I don't want to get too much in the details for pure spoiler reasons. But um, the next two episodes are two of my favorites that Big Finish has ever done. And so that's why it's easy to think that this trilogy might be a contender. But then City of Spires, it's not bad, it's fine, but it's just fine. <laughs> And so I think already we can sort of knock out of the running this trilogy being better than the Klein one, whereas that one was just three rock-solid stories. This one, it just sort of stumbles out of the gate a bit before it really gets cooking. And that's kind of... It'll be easier to talk about this when we talk about Legend of the Cybermen, but it it's kind of have to hold a lot of things back. And that's that's evident when you listen to it. You don't know what the black water really is, if it's oil or something else. I mean, the Doctor comments it's not oil. And then there's other offhand references here that don't really make sense until you have the full picture. But at, yeah, just judged on its own terms, it is just kind of a, not a stumble, but definitely a slow start, a walking gait as the trilogy picks up to a run. Yeah, I think that's probably a quite a nice way of putting it. it. It's, I think probably the biggest interest in this story is that idea of, of the Sixth Doctor and Jamie kind of working together. Um, and we get obviously hints throughout the entirety of the story that something's not right. We know that there are sort of uh, chronological discontinuities, and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in terms of why the Doctor and Jay, or sorry, why Jamie doesn't recognise the Doctor. But a lot of that does kind of fade into the background, and especially when you take kind of older companions and um, pair them with sort of more recent doctors and we'll, we'll brush up against this again when we get to Susan and the eighth doctor um, but it's always a bit of a gamble because by necessity they have to both maintain the kind of relationship they had the companion had with their own doctor but also find a way of developing it into this kind of new relationship that they have with with the more recent doctor now it's not really a big surprise to discover that um, Fraser Hines and Colin Baker have a terrific rapport together um, the only real 
it's not even a surprise, but the only real issue is that the scenes that they have together sparkle. They are just fantastic to listen to. The way, particularly once we get past the kind of, um, you know, the kind of, you know, Jamie's doubt about who the Doctor is, and once they just sort of are written as the Doctor and Jamie together, their scenes together are such good fun. They have great rapport, chemistry. Um, they just bounce off each other, and it, it works fantastically well. Um, the problem is that most of the other scenes kind of fade down a bit next to that, which is a problem because there's not that many scenes of, of Colin Baker and Fraser Hines together. There's enough. There's more than enough to make this a, a, a very entertaining thing to listen to. Um, but a lot of the rest of it does kind of sort of fade away. So we have an overly sibilant bad guy. When, and, the, you know, there's no shortage of them in, in, in Doctor Who. There's no shortage of them in, in Colin Baker's era, never mind the rest of it. And, um, you know, like the, the alien is a bit of a... Cliche is maybe too strong, but a bit of a you know familiar territory, let's say, and um, there's just there's a lot of kind of capture and escape, 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 kind of material to pad out the episodes, and it, it, it's a, a lot of it is sort of superficially engaging, but I don't know that it ever gets much beyond that with that kind of material. Yeah, this might be the single Doctor Who story most guilty of being like almost back-to-back -back capture and escape <laughs> and it's almost i don't know not thrilling because of that but it's almost like an exercise in uh, how far can we draw this out because they don't really have many other ideas of how to create tension beyond uh they escape from british soldiers and wind up into more uh, british soldiers or english soldiers i guess i should say um but yeah it's very uh strange and yeah i it's it, that just makes the story hard to talk about that's all it is and especially because all these red coats which i guess is the best way to describe them um just blend together none of them stand out and when you have i think it's i think it's major hayward who gets possessed at the end i'm still like oh, who is that one i only really have the name because i'm looking at the cast in front of me but it could be any of these it's just yeah, they're they're all very samey bad guys, and I can't tell you if there was just two being swapped around with each capture and escape, or if there was like a dozen. It's just they're just such a monolith. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things that um, this is the only story. Let's say it, let's let's say it this way. Let's say it this way. This is the only story that Simon Bovey has written for Big Finish, and that's a shame in a way because I don't think that this is a bad story we've had much worse uh debut stories than this um and i think there is some potential here like i said the scenes between the doctor and jamie they, they kind of sparkle nicely and obviously part of that is colin baker and fraser hines but they're also being given material which allows them to build on that kind of relationships so, and i i think there is enough understanding of that relationship within the story to see that Simon Bovey has a handle on it, that he can write material which is going to be beneficial to these characters and which is going to, you know, sort of remain true to them, even though, obviously, this is the sixth Doctor, not the second, playing with Jamie. So there's there's definitely something there that, that um, as a writer, uh, Simon Bovey is, 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 can draw out. But like I said, this is his only big finish um, script. So we've got nothing to compare it to, to say, oh, well, he went on and he did this great stuff or this was just a bit of luck and what he did next was rubbish. There's, there's no there's no frame of reference for it other than what it is. And, yeah, like you said, it, like we said, it's just a series of captures and escapes um, sort of tarted up with a bit of um, Hootsman, where's my kilt kind of Scottish um, backgrounding. And a lot of that is, <laughs> this is obviously, this is where my own fair country comes to the fore. Um, but, the, you know, there's there's lots of weird bits and pieces in this, which you could explain on the one hand if you were feeling generous by saying, well, there is obvious historical discontinuity here. We have Rob Roy, who's, uh, you know, out of time. We have the exploitation of oil in uh, um, Grangemouth, which is, you know, there is a huge oil refinery in, in, in Grangemouth. So if nothing else, that bit's correct. Um, but obviously not in the 19th century. Um, so there's all these little bits and pieces, but then there's little details which are kind of odd, like especially the constant reference to the doctor kind of being a Frenchman and that being used as a pejorative. 
that's fine for the English characters because England and France were always at each other's throat, but Scots and the French were allies for most of the time against the English. I mean, if you go back to sort of 12th, 13th century, you can start talking about the old alliance and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but traditionally, Scotland and France have always been very good allies. We kind of still are. Um, and, and so it's really weird when you have the Scottish characters criticizing the doctor for looking like a French person in the same way that the English characters do. You, it works with the English characters because they're that that's right. But it's like wee details like that, that if you're aware of them, they kind of stagger. And yeah, like I said, if you're feeling generous, it could be an intentional way of kind of uh, indicating that there's something wrong with the timelines or there's something wrong with this this place where the doctor's landed. But I think that's too generous. I just think it wasn't written properly. <laughs> Maybe that's too harsh, but um, that's just how it comes across to me. And there's lots of little details like that. Like you were saying, oh, well, you know, they land in the Scottish Highlands and they're they're doing this, that and the other and the Highlanders are coming down. But none of this is set in the Highlands. Like we talk, we talk about Grangemouth, Stirling and Edinburgh all get name checked and none of them are in the Highlands. They're all in the Central Lowlands. And even the most cursory glance at a map will tell you that you can't, it, it just doesn't work. And I know... That's different for me, because obviously I'm Scottish. I'm sitting here recording this in Edinburgh. Um, but it's just one of those things. It's like it would take a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of research. Just literally looking at a map. You go, that's not the Highlands. So why are you talking about it like this? Well, the only answer is because, well, that Doctor Who story was called The Highlanders. But I, I don't know. It's just one of those things. It's, again, it, 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 the... the, the structure isn't solid enough to build a kind of really strong foundation on yeah, I mean, it's very clear you know more about the scottish history than me <laughs> but uh oh, yeah i would he, hope so and yeah, i don't mean that as an insult <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um but yeah i mean I, I didn't have the context for all that uh scotland french um relationships but yeah even in the story it strikes me as weird because the doctor's clearly speaking with a british accent i mean i know there's allusions and things like i believe vincent and the doctor where um they they speak with like Dutch aspect accents in Switzerland or whatever the opposite is, maybe vice versa. You know what I mean? Like they've yeah, alluded yeah. to you speak the language and maybe your accent is different depending on where you're from. Um, but since everyone here is speaking English, uh, the doctor should be speaking in his normal accent. He heard in his normal accent. It doesn't make sense why they would keep thinking he's French. <laughs> it just doesn't really track on the face of it either. And right, and even not knowing the exact. Um, allegiances there. You're right, the Scottish animosity towards the French doesn't uh, just read to a layperson. And I guess sounds like it even makes less sense if you know more about it. It's just a very odd detail. And it's a lot of like odd details in this. And some of them are explicable, but some of them, I don't know, that, that, that doesn't sound like one that is part of a, like an intentional tip-up. That just sounds like laziness, honestly. <laughs> and yeah, it's hard to, I guess, differentiate some of them, but at the same time, yeah, I don't know. I, it, I just wish there was more to this story. It's just a lot of, as we said, just like running around, escape and capture, and there's not much else to really hold on to. Well, and especially as we have an actual French character in the play, so that makes it even odder. Yeah. And I, I'm one of the most unconvincing French accents I've ever heard in my life, I have to say. It sounds like somebody who's deliberately kind of, um, you know, taking the mickey. It's 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 really, like, there's a lot of wandering accents in this story, but I'm not sure any of them wander quite as far as our, as the French accent. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just odd. Um, and getting those kind of, especially for a story like this, getting those kind of specific details right isn't just a question of kind of like um trivial nitpicking or whatever because it's those details that make up the story you know when we were talking uh, a couple of episodes ago about the second uh story in the Klein trilogy when we had all these kind of the, the you know we had the insects and we had the the way of communicating that was by smell um, and we had the colonies and the build-up of this kind of society. And the, the, the society was built up through the accretion of 
detail, little lines that the doctor would drop, or little lines that the, 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 the smugglers would drop or whatever. So we got an overall impression of the society and we spent enough time within the society to get a real feel for it. Um, it's interesting to me to compare this story to that one because that's what this story needs. It needs that kind of attention to detail. And in theory, that ought to be easier because a couple of, a couple of minutes on wiki and like I said, Google Maps, and you've basically got it nailed down. You know, it's not a complicated amount of research that's necessary to get these kind of details right. And, um, you know, like knowing there's a refinery at Grangemouth, okay, that's why Grangemouth is a bit like, um, what's the American equivalent? Galveston, somewhere like that. You know, it's, it's like the big oil port that's on the coast. It's, it's that kind of thing. Um, but that's you know a very minor detail to get right in, in amongst all the things that it gets wrong and that attention to detail is undermining and I, I, I'm obviously biased because I know stuff but I, I think and I certainly get the impression from what you're saying as well Kev it, it's clear that even if you don't know these details you can feel that they're still being fumbled or you can feel that they're still being kind of glossed over in a way that isn't building the same degree of uh, yeah, the same kind of world building, the same degree of world building um, sort of throughout the story. And, and that lack of specificity, that lack of kind of detail in the world just does kind of undermine it a bit. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm just going to change topics here, but it's just the other thing that really undermines the story is like all of the escapes and recaptures, like the escapes are not that great or interesting. And it's a lot of the bad guys with revealing too much or doing actions that are baffling, like why they choose to take some prisoner rather than kill them never makes any sense. And what, like, and they, they try to kill the Doctor and Jamie and Alice, like, many times. And, but then for some reason, something always stops them and it never feels quite convincing. I wish I could cite more specific examples, but like, the Doctor usually, like, every episode of Cliffhanger is them about to be shot, it feels like. And then someone saying, no, no, well, saying, no, no, no. You need to actually preserve their lives because of some reason or another. No, well, actually, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but you're exactly right. And this is the point that I wanted to, to raise as well. Is that episode two and episode three end with exactly the same cliffhanger, which is the doctor's almost about to die. Oh, somebody else comes in and rides to the rescue. And I think, um, the, the, I think it's episode three that dies. They're about to be shot. And then somebody else shoots the bad guys. And, right. Um, you know, all this kind of, but they, they both end in precisely the same manner. That was lazy when it was being done, you know, with the, 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 um, the side scene in the visitation and for to doomsday back in 1980 or 1981, never mind, never mind in, uh, 2010 when this was released um it's just really that's really poor script writing and to be fair uh, not it's not really fair at all that's not the right word but that's also something that should have been picked up at a script editing stage so yeah simon bovey uh simon bovey definitely makes a mistake when he has both episodes end in exactly the same way <gasps> the doctor's in peril oh he's been saved by somebody else um but that also like a strong script writer should have picked that up and said listen you realize both your episodes end in exactly the same way. Do something about it. Um, Zalm Barnes at script edited this, and and it's to his discredit that, that both of those episodes ends in exactly the same way. And it it it's really clear when you're listening to it. It's it's repetitious. There's no good excuse for it. It's just kind of lazy writing. But it should have been picked up on either by the writer or by the script editor, and neither did. And that does slightly suggest the amount of effort which has gone into this. Uh, yeah, it, it just it feels like a very lazy story, honestly, all in all. I mean, I think that's what we're sort of coming down to. We are, I think we were more positive when we started the discussion, and then we sort, yeah. of, <laughs> re, sort of picking apart, we realized, oh, wait a minute. Um, yeah, there's not much going on here, and what there is is just very... It, it feels like an algorithm wrote this in parts. It just feels like, well, and now they meet the sort of guest character, this Mrs. C, and she is going to help them out and give them the exposition they need or ask the right questions. And now they get, because they're captured and Dr. James split up, now we can do an A plot and a B plot going. And it just feels like all the sort of tricks in the bag Dr. Who uses. Um, and like you've got, like, like you said, a very uh, slimy villain called Baker to go up against. And you have the red caps, which are very typical sort of goons that are these bigger monsters. And it's, it's just all paint by numbers. And 
it's it's set up for what's coming later, but it's just not. You can make your setup more engaging than this. There's no reason for it to be so. I mean, even with the center stage really being the Doctor and Jamie interacting, you don't have to make the rest of it so bland. No, and I, I think I think a lot of it comes down to the the the, the character work as well. Is is sort of fairly wrote, I suppose, and and like particularly Major Hayward, who's meant to be this big kind of bad guy. He's you know he's the he's the English uh, you know person in Scotland. He's meant to be this kind of evil person and blah blah blah. And I I think at the moment where he where he's kind of taken over, where where he's absorbed by these leech like aliens, um, is meant to be shocking. Or meant to be something that we go, oh gosh, this you know, but it's really, it doesn't come off at all because the character is is such, um, such a one dimensional kind of character. I feel we're talking this down. I'm, I honestly enjoyed listening to this story when I was listening. Yeah, totally talking, no, talking about it now that I kind of think, wait, there's a lot of really kind of clumsy moments in this, but. Um, I suppose that's the point of this podcast, really, isn't it? Anyway, um, it, it's, he's just such a one-dimensional kind of character. So when he gets absorbed by these alien leeches or whatever, there's no sense of um, catharsis. There's no sense of somebody getting their just desserts. There's no sense of release when it happens. It's just like, oh, this character that we had has been destroyed or taken over by another character that we have. And it's everything is very kind of... It doesn't up the tension. It doesn't up the drama. We don't feel sympathy or 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 glee or anything when this character is, is is sort of taken over like that. It just it's just an event that happens in between a few other events that happen, and that's kind of the thing. Like when you when you when we get the reveal of these alien parasites, um, who are stealing the oil or the black water, it's meant to be this moment of uh, revelation which moves the goalposts or which you know, changes our understanding of the story. But the thing is, it doesn't really do that at all. The, 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 our understanding of the story is somebody has, is, is stealing the oil and then eventually we find out who that someone is. But it doesn't change anything. Oh, it turns out we thought aliens were stealing the oil and aliens are stealing the oil. Now we just know that they're like leeches instead of, I don't know, the Suntarans or something. It doesn't... There's no impact from it. It doesn't redefine it and, and sort of killing off this this one. And, you know, like Major Hayworth, there's a major character within the play. He's he's a real antagonist throughout, like, the first sort of three episodes or so before he gets absorbed. Um, so he is, he's a significant player in this, but it just doesn't, it doesn't carry any impact. It's, it's kind of almost, now that I'm sort of talking it out like this, it's kind of almost weird how little impact that actually has. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I listened to the story. I mean, obviously, listen to the podcast. I listened to one episode a day in the four days leading up to recording, including listening to episode four right beforehand. And I, even with it that fresh in my mind, I cannot tell you which scenes Major Herod was there for and which ones he wasn't. Like every time they're up against redcoats, they feel so generic. And I think part of that is James Albrecht as Major Herod, Russell Floyd as Sergeant Rilke, and whoever else was voicing the other ones. Um, none of them stand out that much. Um, it's just not very impactful performances, unfortunately. And I, but part of that's also the writing. None of these characters give much to do to distinguish themselves from one another. They're just the bad guys. And like, so, like I said, when we have that moment where Major Hayward is taken over, it's just a totally consuming thing. It's just a total nothing reaction. Um, yeah, it's... It's just another thing that happens. And that's another great point about how the Overlord, there's no twist to it. It doesn't recontextualize. It's just an alien like we assumed. I think the whole story pretty much plays out how you'd expect it to as soon as you have the premise down. And it's, like, the writing is fleet enough. Like, Baker and Hines and Georgia Moffat, who we haven't mentioned, as uh, Alice slash Mrs. C, as <laughs> Jamie keeps referring to her. Uh, it's, uh, she's very good. Like those three in the center of the story, they were very engaging performances and given a lot of sparkling dialogue, and I think that is what carries the story to making to not a failure, to a passing grade. Is those three just really they're, they're it's it's nice, it's engaging. And I think that is where the strength of the story lie. It's just 
it's very much wallpapering over a something that is much more um, rote and interesting beneath it. And I think when you get look into anywhere else besides what's immediately happening in the moment, you realize that, oh, this isn't quite what you imagined it was. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to tread very carefully here because I don't want to stray into territory which is going to be addressed by future episodes. But do you think, I suppose this really depends how generous you're feeling. Do you think the artificiality or the um, one-dimensionalness of what's experienced here is deliberate because of what's going to be coming up? Or do you think it's just slightly poor writing which can subsequently be justified by what the future revelations of this trilogy are going to be. And I'm asking that in the most careful way that I possibly can <laughs> without kind of tipping hands towards anything. All I'll say is this, if it's deliberate, it's a bad choice. Uh, and I think there's a way you can make the story more interesting and more engaging without, and still have it serve its purpose within the framework of this trilogy. Um, no, that's fair. Yeah. That's definitely fair. Um, I, I mean, you mentioned the performances there, and you know, like the it, that definitely is the saving grace. I think, particularly when it comes to Fraser Hines and, and um, Colin Baker, and certainly once I started listening to this story, and I know we mentioned this. Um, I think I specifically mentioned it when we when we last encountered Colin Baker, um, but there is just such a pleasure to listening to how much he so obviously enjoys being the doctor um some of those early scenes where he's just like really puttering about and he hasn't really got involved in the story and doesn't really know what's going on but it's so obvious how much pleasure how much joy he takes from from being uh, from being the Doctor. And when we were talking about, I don't know, Blue Forgotten Planet or, or, or Paper Cuts or, or whatever, it was just, it was one of the things which really radiated out from the speakers, just that pleasure. And it's such a pleasure. It's such a pleasure to listen to him. Just feel so comfortable in the role, so much uh, kind of energy and enthusiasm. And, and even when the play does does suffer when it does stagger he's got more than enough um skill and experience in the role to kind of make up the script's shortfall so he gets righteous anger he gets to be kind of funny he gets to make kind of slightly poor uh puns and one-liners and all the stuff that and he's just he's just lovely to listen to and and it's you know i think that's probably the biggest pleasure i sort of really took away from this one just listening to colin baker Clearly, having the time of his life. Uh, once he gets into the scenes with uh, with Fraser Hines as well, you know, the, the, like I said before, they spark off each other fantastically well. It, you know, they have a great time. But it's just like that's the big pleasure for me, the biggest pleasure for me, really, from from this place. Just that that straightforward glee and pleasure and and joy that Colin Baker so obviously has for his role. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I mean, like I said, the dialogue is sparkling. That's what Simon Bovey's like biggest strength clear here is clearly they play off each other so well, and they have great material to do so. Uh, I just, I just love how. I mean, there's there's the awkwardness of oh he doesn't remember oh this is a mystery and that but once that's out of the way and it's blessed out of the way very quickly, uh, it just becomes Prager Hines is this amazing really fantastic straight man to Colin Baker or voice of reason I should say it's he is and then which is a very fun role to put Fraser Hines in but just having him constantly react to the doctor's like constant weirdness and frippery and whatever is just such a fun dynamic to establish and they work so well off each other they really do and and I think it is easy to kind of underestimate how much that brings to the table because it's it's one of the things I, I mentioned before the eighth doctor and susan uh so um paul mcgann and and caroline ford and the way that they work together um but we also obviously we have um charlie and the sixth doctor as well sort of very much in the same territory where you have companions who are sort of asked to function out with their normal doctor and it is it isn't an easy thing I think to achieve that kind of rapport and it's very easy to to kind of be um 
blasé about how good these actors are at being able to do that because almost always, almost always, when we have a companion who is um, placed with another doctor, it almost always works. And it really speaks to the quality of the actors that you get in Doctor Who that that is the case. So if we get a, a story where, I mean, like, even if you get two companions, even if you get like Romana and Leela in the Gallifrey stories or something like that, and they're fantastically good together. You know, they're brilliant. Of course they are, because it's Lala Ward and Louise Jameson. But I think it's one of the things that's very easy to, to underestimate in Doctor Who because we get so used to seeing characters in in their um, set ways. And um, I think particularly when we talk about, or when we have talked about rather, the sort of the fourth Doctor box sets, which I think we've both said are kind of the least interesting because they're the ones which are most set in their kind of, they're, they're most set in stone, they're most set in their own way. Um, but even then, when you get, um, Tom Baker and he's asked to act with um, oh I don't know uh, David Tennant or when you get yeah Lala Ward and she's asked to act with uh, Louise Jameson or whatever you see the quality of those actors come out because they're suddenly being recontextualized we're not just seeing them doing the party pieces we're not just seeing them turn up do the script and go home again and and because they're all so good at it yeah it does become very blasé it becomes very easy to just underestimate what a skill that is. But I think it is a real skill, and I think it's one that's um, really worth drawing attention to. With the Sixth Doctor and Jamie here, we know that Fraser Hines is really good at Jamie. We know that he's also done a very, very good um, kind of Patrick Troughton. Um, and we know that Colin Baker has, you know, been redeemed via his work in Big Finish. But all of those things put together don't necessarily mean that you're going to get great results at the end of it. Yeah, we know Colin Baker's great. Yeah, we know Fraser Hines is great. But putting them together is always going to be a gamble, and you can't guarantee that you're going to have the same rapport that, say, Fraser Hines had with Patrick Troughton or, or whatever it's going to be. And the fact that it works, and not just works, but works incredibly effectively, and again, not to sort of tip hands, but that, that final story in this trilogy is just heartbreaking uh, at the end of it. But the fact that it works so well really speaks to the testament of the of the of the uh, really stands as a testament i should say to the quality of the actors that we have here so I, I i do really want to kind of highlight just how good it is and how good these actors are at making something which really ought to be at least a little bit clumsy or a little bit awkward just work so smoothly i all i can do is go sign yeah it's that's a fantastic way to put it and I mean, I think that is why, uh, like, Louise Jameson sort of stands out as one of my favorite actors, because she gets a chance to pair off with so many other characters over the course of doing Big Finish. She, she has her figures in a lot of different runs, and um, Lala Ward, the same, another really standout. I, I think it's always good to sort of flex and do these sort of odd pairings when Big Finish can, because it works. It almost always works well. You almost always find a new dynamic to both doctor and companion characters involved or companion companion whoever is being paired off with whoever it's just usually very fascinating well it absolutely is and you know if there's to be a redeeming feature of uh, city of spires that's that's the one that we're going to have to focus on because like i said before so much of the rest of it does just fade into the background and i know being the first story in a trilogy is always challenging. Of course it is, because there's so much setup that needs to be done. But I think one of the interesting things about this story is that it, it actually, for all that it is the first in the trilogy, there's actually very little setup here. I mean, if you if you stripped out the odd references to uh, what's going to happen, you know that that like the final episode, or did she send you and all that kind of stuff, you would lose about a minute of running time maybe two minutes at the most and you would be able to have this simply presented as, as a, a standalone story it's, there's not a lot of setup going on here this isn't a vast amount of exposition yes we get a few lines about how 
uh, yeah, Rob Rise at a time, or 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 how you know the the oil refinery is is you know a century or two too early or whatever. But beyond that, I mean, those are pretty easy details to skip round if you just wanted to do this as a straightforward. You know, the Doctor meets Jamie, um, but in his sixth body rather than his second. You could you could do that with almost no retooling at all. The point of the emphasis on this is yeah. If this was just a story that was all exposition, if it was all set up, well, you know, it'd be a bit clunky, but you could get away with it. But it isn't. Um, okay, we have we have a mystery, but it's not. I mean, it's Doctor Who, so something has happened, and it's a bit out of time, and and that's fine. But that's not really the most compelling mystery, I think, that that has ever been. Uh, brought up I think it's fair to say uh, I'm struggling a little bit here just because it, it's hard to think of things to say which I, I don't want to sound like I'm just slagging it off but at the same time I kind of am and if there was more exposition it would be forgivable the fact that there's so little exposition and so little setup, but it's still a story that feels like it's nothing but set up is, is, is kind of another demerit I think what's really frustrating is and we're struggling to talk around the twist, but um, yeah, but if the story struggles to talk around the twist, it there's uh, everything that's odd about it is trying to sort of signpost, but these aren't clues you can use to figure out. <laughs> I mean, no one can figure out in advance what's going on here. I don't, I wouldn't imagine, and no. it's just so it just winds up being odd details that you can't piece together, and it just winds on re-listen. It's just it's just frustrating. It's just well, I. You know, you know it's going to happen. There's nothing satisfying about it. It's just these things thrown out there with no explanation, and it's just more frustrating than it is um, illuminating or intriguing. And I mean, I hate to, I hate to hark back to it, but I am going to have to bring up the whole Scottish thing again. Um, it's a bit kind of cliche, um, and it, some of that is forgivable in the context of taking broad strokes um, approach to kind of. Uh, a particular culture or a particular society. So uh, references to sporans and whiskey and all that kind of stuff. It's a bit, it's a bit laboured, um, but it's not completely unforgivable. Um, the accents are all almost universally terrible. And there's nothing we can do about that. So you know, I just have to get over that. Um, Fraser Hines is is um, doing a Scottish accent, the same one that he's always done, but he deserves to be praised for his consistency in doing it. I'm not going to say that it's a genuine, authentic Scottish accent, but he's very good at being consistent with it. And that's fine. I'm absolutely okay with that. Um, Many, many of the other accents are are wandering uphill and down down, down Glen, and and we'll just gloss over them for the time being. Um, But it does struggle to um, strike a balance between... Um, what was and what is. And what I mean by that is that a lot of the references to Scotland are the kind of ones that you would have gotten maybe in the late 60s, maybe when Jamie was actually a companion. Oh, here's my spot and full of salt. And here's my dark and I've got a jar full of whiskey and all this kind of stuff. Um, And you could get away with that in 1968 or 1969, but it's much, much harder to get away with that in 2010. Less still when we are recording this over a decade later. Um, and the story struggles to find a balance between doing the kind of sort of Troughton era references to Scotland that you would have got, say, in the Highlanders, um, and the sort of representation of a culture that you would expect, you know, 40 years after that story was, was broadcast. And that's problematic is maybe too strong a word but if this was another culture if this was a culture that wasn't uh scotland if it was a um one which was less familiar to to doctor who i think it would be described as problematic because it's extremely stereotypical and again i understand i have sensitivities towards that because i'm scottish but at the same time some of it is just lazy and 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 i i understand why it's been done that way because i really do think it's a genuine attempt to try and uh you know evoke that troughton jamie second doctor era but you can't just present that as is 
yeah, 30 or 40 years later and assume that the same kind of thing will function. You couldn't broadcast the Green Death and pretend that Wales is still, you know, uh, that representation. You couldn't get away with that with Doctor Who's made in Cardiff now. Well, it's kind. this is kind of the big Finnish equivalent of that. You know, you can't get away with saying, oh, well, it's kind of the stuff that you would have got in the Highlanders, but hey, it's all this time later. It, it's it's kind of clunky. And I, I, I think, I hope I'm right in saying that it's clunky not just, I think it's clunky not just because I'm also Scottish, but because it's just it's just these really clumsy signifiers that that shouldn't be just you be used in the same way that they would have been back in the late 60s yeah i mean <laughs> that's for all i can say but yeah it's i think you're right i mean it's not, it's not fully problematic i mean scottish jokes are in sort of the same territory as you know there's the meme that goes around you you can always do an Italian accent. It's never racist. And we so we can always... And I think Scots <laughs> and Italians almost fall into that same category where it's like... I mean, yeah, you can always like make Sopranos jokes. You can always be like ridiculous and silly about it because especially in the 21st century, the persecution these people have faced is much less compared to certainly other places in the world. But we're being asked to take this dramatically. And you can't take this dramatically <laughs> with everything going on. And even the humor, even if it's not straight problematic, it is just tiresome after a while. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it, it's I, I problematic is you're right. It's it's not that, but it do, that doesn't stop it from being cliche. Doesn't stop it from being not funny. Yeah, and it's just yeah, it's just it, it's just not very good. And that's you know that's that's ultimately that's more important, I suppose, in a way than than whether it's really problematic or not. It's just it's just not very good. And I, I do feel we've talked this story down. Like I said before. It is sort of superficially entertaining, but it just never really gets beyond the superficial. We've we've definitely covered much worse stories than this. There's no doubt about that. But it's just it is a shame because so much of the pleasure of this trilogy is the the Sixth Doctor and Jamie, and it's a shame that the the trilogy doesn't get off to to a stronger start. But well, it is what it is, and you know we'll we'll be back next episode with something a wee bit better. So um, fine, let's let let's draw a veil over this for the time being and move over to our recommendations. So, Kev, what have you got for us this week? All right, this week I'm going to recommend something. I mean, that our listeners are listeners are probably at least aware of already, if not have already listened to or watched, I should say. But uh, I'm going to recommend Star Wars Visions on Disney Plus. Uh, this is a true anthology of nine standalone Star Wars stories uh, between 13 to 20 minutes each. And they're animated by various Japanese animation studios, which is sort of the big um, conceit there. And the writers and directors were given the uh, go-ahead to do whatever they want, and we'll decide if it's canon later, I guess is the sort of general sense of it. But, I mean, don't let it kind of necessarily lack thereof dissuade you. It's so good. It's nine shorts, and they both and they all take big swings in what they're doing with Star Wars in a way that feels like it's the most fresh thing Disney has done with Star Wars since they acquired it from George Lucas. I mean, that's straight up. It is magnificent and just how, how daring it is and just trying to tell different genres and different styles and different types of stories. I mean, a lot of the stories boil down to a Jedi and a Sith do a lightsaber battle and it's pretty cool but at the same time yeah the styles remain so different and the character dynamics are ones you haven't seen before and i just want to then shout out a few of them uh i mean the one i beelined to was the twins directed by hiroyuki imaishi who is uh of gurren lagan of promare those are names you might have heard of and that one is a very slight story but it's so visually gorgeous in his usual over-the-top insane style. And that's probably the most high-level, well-known director here. But there's plenty of other great studios. Um, Science Saru is one I really like, and both of their stories are very interesting. And then there's a lot of us being introduced to as well. Um, I'm gonna, there's my, I guess, top three I'll sort of shout out as well. Uh, there's The Village Bride and The Ninth Jedi, which are two really great stories. And 
just like these very nice sort of explorations of these other sort of cultures, the village bride sort of set during the Clone Wars on a peaceful planet being harassed by pirates. The Ninth Jedi set long after Episode Nine, and what would the Jedi become after that? How would they reform? And then there's another great one about Lop and Ocho, about these two adoptive siblings who one goes the way of the Jedi, the other goes the way of the Empire. And I think all of those little different, all of like those little conceits, they're not unusual to Star Wars, but they're given such a nice breath of fresh air by the um, just by the animation style and by how they're written. It just feels so different. And that difference is good. And it's nice to see a sort of very stodgy um, old-timer franchise be given this breath of fresh air. So yeah, Star Wars Visions, I highly recommend watching all nine. It won't take you long. You could honestly probably do it in one sitting, even if it be a long sitting. But Or you could do it like me and break it up over nine days. But either way, it is just, it's just fantastic. I highly recommend giving it a shot. Um, the one last thing I'll say, if I mean, this comes up with every sort of anime, subs versus dubs. I watched two of them with the English cast. Well, the English cast is very cool, like who they get. It's a lot of big names. It's not quite there, probably because it's still written in Japanese. Is the original language is, of course, written in and directed in and everything like that. And, and the big names Disney gets for these dubs are not, they maybe they're just directed wrong. Maybe they're just like not, not all of them are very skilled voice actors. I mean, I didn't listen to all of them in English. Maybe some of them are really good, but the two I listened to were fairly underwhelming in that language. So, and then listening to the rest in Japanese, like it, it you can tell it's the original format and that the voice actors are doing a great job. So if you if you are a inclined towards subtitles and don't mind them, that's what I would recommend. Though I'm not saying dub is bad. If you have a strong preference towards watching the English voice acting over reading subtitles. I mean, definitely still go for it. Cool. Yeah, I haven't got around to watching it yet. Unsurprisingly, you, uh, you, it's definitely something which is on my horizon, but it's not something which I have, uh, I've got around to watching yet. So uh, I, I will make it there eventually. Um, for myself, uh, this time out, I'm going to recommend uh, the Korean series Squid Game. Uh, now, I'm going to recommend it, but I'm going to recommend it with a sort of fairly large caveat as well now it's very much the the sort of tv series du jour at the moment and it is a very interesting kind of show i'm a big big fan of uh korean tv uh in fact for those of you who are interested um i've i've kind of written a primer uh, on my blog uh, about korean tv um and it, i i'm find it genuinely very very interesting and i think there's a lot of really terrific uh korean TV shows out there which which deserve much much more recommend as uh, much more um, exposure I should say uh, in the West they are fantastic. Um, Squid Game kind of falls, I'd say it falls towards the top end of them, but it's not top tier if that makes sense. It is a really interesting show. It's clearly made by somebody who absolutely adores the uh, Patrick McGoon uh, the Prisoner. Um, beyond all hope and recognition, that's what it is. It's basically a very violent, um, very um, push to the limit sort of version of the prisoner, um, but no less, uh, no less good for that. Um, and it's it's kind of um, a very interesting idea. It, it does take a lot of uh, concepts from sort of contemporary society, ones which are certainly not just restricted to um, Korea. So. Uh, people who are desperate, people who are poor, people who are in, in huge amounts of personal debt and, and how far it will push them um, to try and do something about it. It's it's a very interesting kind of show, but I have a feeling that the... Uh, how can I say this politely? I think the concept of the show is maybe slightly better than the execution, um, but that doesn't mean that the execution is bad. In fact, the execution is often extremely good. Um, it's quite a brutal show. It's definitely not um, PG viewing. It, it, it's, it's quite hard to watch in places. Um, but of course, that's absolutely part of the intended impact. It's, it's meant to be difficult to watch. It's not meant to be an easy, kind of calm, relaxing uh, night in front of the telly. Um, it's very, very well cast, There are it, uh, which is a very common thing with uh, the Korean TV, at least that, that I've watched. It's very, very well cast, Joe. And uh, Lee Young-ye as uh, the lead character is simply terrific. Uh, he plays Song Yi-young, uh, 
And um, I hope uh, my Korean pronunciation is, is uh, up to snuff. Uh, I can't promise that I'm particularly great at it. But certainly, uh, fantastic character, fantastic actor. Um, but that's true across the board. It's, it's a really well acted, really well constructed, and, and also properly um, disconcerting in places. A lot of the blank faces, the blank masks, it's, it's quite surreal. There's sort of hints towards some Escher stuff in a couple of rooms. It's got like that sort of very uncomfortable kind of holiday camp aesthetic which has definitely been imported from the prisoner um there's lots of really weird strange stuff about it so um it's definitely worth a watch uh, like i say with a caveat that it is uh it is violent it's not always the easiest show to watch in the world so it definitely comes with a content warning um but it's more than worth uh taking time for um and for all that uh, you know every so often you'll get a a TV show or a movie, um, particularly when you're talking about um, sort of Korean stuff, obviously Parasite is going to be a point of reference for its Oscar win, um, that become, um, you know, kind of, yeah, like I said, the, the kind of show or the movie du jour. Um, Squid Game definitely deserves to be noticed, but I would, like I said, I would have that caveat that it's definitely a show which is um, absolutely worthwhile in what it's trying to achieve. But whether it necessarily does that in the absolute best way that it could, I think is an open question. But it's a really interesting show. And if it is flawed, it's definitely one of those things um, or definitely one of those circumstances whereby it's it's far more interesting for what it's trying to say and what it's trying to address than it necessarily is for the absolute perfection of its execution. So I'm going to recommend Squid Game, but with those caveats in place. I mean, Squid Game is something that everyone has told me oh you haven't watched that yet oh you love it and uh i'll find time with it between all the cw shows i'm watching and foundation but i I have a lot of tv i'm watching right now so uh hope i'll get to it someday fantastic well i think we can probably wrap it up there for now kev would you care to tell people how they can get in touch with us Sure. You can email us, you at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter, at TalkingWhoToYou. I am on Twitter, at Kev Kozer, K-E-V-K-O-E-S-E-R. More of JG's writings are at www.jgmacquarie.scott. I'm also a frequent guest on the podcast, Total Massacre, about action movies. And JG has his other podcast, Beatles Stuffology, about the Beatles. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, Next week, we are going to be addressing the second story in this trilogy, which means we are going to be aboard the wreck of the Titan. As always, we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep talking.